If you have a brain, you have bias. So let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity. Because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens. While sex and sexuality are important, it's just, you know, you consider the entirety of a person and it's not just one single identity isolation. So, so yeah, I am part of the LGBTQ community, but it's just one thing. Like I have all this other stuff. I have a, a very conservative Christian upbringing, um, being female. Today, on this episode of Breaking the Bias, Consciously Unbiased founder Ashish Kaushal virtually sits down with Wen Stanger, an equality, diversity, and inclusion consultant for a candid conversation. They talk about Wen's journey of coming out in her 40s as the mom of three boys, the difference between gender identity and sexuality, the intersectionality of the pride movement and how LGBTQ people's race, religion, and family upbringing may act as barriers for finding acceptance and reaching true equality. Now on to their conversation. When we talk about like, you know, the overview of like cultural groups, like how, how do different groups see sex, sexuality, sexual orientation? You know, I, I've talked ad nauseum about my upbringing and, and kind of how I've kind of struggled through a lot of that. And I love what I learned in my reading is that, you know, while sex and sexuality are important, it's just, you know, you consider the entirety of a person and it's not just one single identity isolation. So so yeah, I am part of the LGBTQ community, but it's just one thing. Like I have all this other stuff. I have a, a very conservative Christian upbringing, um, being female. And it's interesting, um, you know, one of the things I read was, you know, sex and sexual orientations comprised of several components. It's your identity, your behavior, your attraction. And it's really a fluid concept. And I was, so I did some of my original reading. It was like two, like 2011, they said, uh, that three and a half percent of Americans identify as LGBTQ and a Gallup poll just last month, they did a new Gallup poll and it's 5.6% of Americans identify as LGBTQ. Like there are so many more. And it's funny because I think, I think people that don't know the community will go, well, yeah, because everyone else is becoming gay. It's like, no, we're not becoming, we just already, we always were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually think that number is way a lot higher than, than the 5.6 even, because I think there's still people struggling with the fact that they, they want to let others know. Totally. Well, I mean, I'm, I was one of those people. I, I, I didn't come out publicly until last year. Um, and, and I'm in my forties. It, it took, you know, I spent most of my, well, all of my adulthood until, until the past few years, um, living and passing as a heterosexual person. Like I, got married to a man, had babies, had a suburban life. I, I tried to do all of those things because that's what I was raised with. I was raised with my family telling me my job was to find a husband and have children. And that was it. Um, and I did those things. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. My, like my boys are my life and they're awesome. But I, I struggled with happiness during that. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I, I thought, I was doing it wrong. I was like, I must be, I must be not doing this well because everybody else around me just loves this kind of life. And I don't. 
I, I'm not sure everyone loves that kind of life. They just pretend they do for the most part. But, Probably. Um, you, do, but, <laughs> you know, it's like the Instagram. You Everything gets posted on Instagram. Here's my perfect life, my perfect job, my perfect everything. But then that's not really the truth. You know, we don't post up the things that we're really feeling. So, But I do think it's interesting because it, you kind of didn't tell anybody because of the constructs of disappointing family members, right? I always kind of say that friends or family get to choose in life because <laughs> we get to pick people who are similar to us versus what we're born into and those walls they put up around us. And so you think, I remember you telling me when you first came out, like the struggle was not so much with your your parents. I mean, that was definitely part of it, but more of a, how are your kids receive it? So you want to share what they said? Yeah. Yeah. So like I, it took me, it probably took me a good like three or four years before I was ready. Like, you know, somewhere along the line in my late thirties, I realized, so as early as like teenage years and early twenties, I knew that I liked women and I always knew, well, I like men, but I like women too. And I, and the people that I did, that didn't know about that always told me it was a phase. They're like, yeah, people go through that. It's a phase you'll grow out of it. So I just kept waiting to grow out of it. And I, and like, here I was in my late thirties and I'm like, yeah, I'm not growing out of this yet. <laughs> like what is wrong with me? And then, you know, as I started to, to go into, um, you know, my master's program in psychology and learning more about sex and sexuality back in like 2017, I was like, Oh, Holy crap. It's not something to grow out of. This is not how everybody thinks. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I was just like, Oh, that's why I feel like I'm, you know, square peg round hole because I'm, I'm in a lifestyle that doesn't really fit who I am. Um, And then when I I got more comfortable, I started to come out to a few friends um, but I really didn't want to kind of kind of come out publicly until the first people I wanted to know were my children. And I have three teenage boys. And my biggest concern was it was going to scare them. They weren't going to know how to deal with me. I just really worried that they wouldn't accept it or it would it would cause them a lot of grief because then I started to worry about the discrimination that they can get within their circle of friends, within school, having a gay mom. And last year when I finally, it was last summer, I finally, you know, sat down each of them individually. And I told my oldest first, and he's, he's 19 now. Um, I told him first and he said, yeah, mom, it's fine. He's like, you, it doesn't change who you are. You're still my mom. I just want you to be happy. And I was like, oh my God. And then I told my other two and they were like, cool. Okay. Can we go play video games now? Like (laughs) it was like, it was no, it was very nonchalant. And, and now they've lived the past year knowing mom is gay and, and it's just part of life. Like they don't really, it doesn't bother them. Olivia, is your own bias against your kids? <laughs> I did. I was assigning my, I was sign, assigning an assumed bias um, <laughs> yeah. when I was raised with, like I, I knew how my family would react. And because my kids are my family, I assumed well, they'll react the way other family, like it's so weird. Like if clearly I've not raised them that way but I still worried that that was ingrained in them somehow. Yeah. yeah. Coming out to the rest of my family is a bit harder. Well, it wasn't that it was harder and not that hard. There were two family members I chose to come out to. Um, and that was my younger sister and my stepdad um, because I, they are the two that I have a really close relationship with. I really wanted them to know. I had no problem assuming that my sister would be supportive and she absolutely was. I was worried about how my dad would take it. Um, and he's, you know, he's in his, mid seventies lives in Texas. He's actually, he's like a quiet 
liberal Democrat living in Texas, which, you know, that's one whole thing in and of itself right now. But I had a feeling with him that he would love me no matter what, even if he disapproved. And he was absolutely like, it it didn't bother him. My mother, on the other hand, uh, is the, you know, she was the matriarch, still the matriarch of our family, very set in her ways, very homophobic, very racist, very not understanding of different lifestyles uh, or different, different, people. Mm. I still have not told her. I don't know. I don't know that I will ever have that conversation with her because I don't know what to gain from it because she's not going to take a while. Yeah. I mean, we might be surprised, but yeah, you got to do it on your own time, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, and when it's kind of like, I, I always wondered, you know, like, that's my, that's what I know. That's the culture in the background that I know, but like coming from your family, like, Obviously, I mean, I think I think you. Uh, what was it in twenty nineteen or so? You at our, one of our last conferences, you came out as straight because <laughs> you you were showing how ridiculous it is that we have to always come out to people and come out forever and ever. <laughs> so when I came out, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like I so you know one of the one of the articles that I was studying you know showed that religion can be a barrier to developing your stable sexual identity, and it totally was for me. Um, but they also talk about how race can play a factor uh, in coming out process for others. I know with the work that you do, like I'm curious what you've seen, what you know about your own cultural background. I mean, I honestly ran away from it a little bit because I think growing up when I'd go to school, they'd say I was Indian. When I go to India, they'd say I was American. So I didn't really feel like I belonged. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of yeah. overcompensate by just trying to just swallow yourself into the culture that you're living in, you know? I didn't really have any friends until I went to move to New York City. Like even through college, I noticed that all my friends were mostly white or black. And I think that's mm-hmm. the result of like growing up in an environment where you didn't feel like you belonged, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's been the, the hard thing of coming out this and during a pandemic is then I immediately want to flock to that community, that white community, so I can have more, more you know, friends like me. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it's been tough. It's, you know, we can't just meet in person. We can't just get together like I found online communities which it helps a little but yeah I mean my first set of gay friends was in my early 20s and that was because I was in the military like how 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 anti-gay the military was (laughs) (laughs) there were a lot of gay people in the military like we had our whole we had a whole crew um and we just had to keep quiet about who we were and and what was going on in our personal lives yeah, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell was still a policy when I was active duty. Um, and it wasn't repealed until 2011, which is, um, it was six years, six or seven years after I got, I got out in 04. I'm not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> um, all that pretend instead of don't ask, don't tell. Right. <laughs> don't ask, pretend. Yeah. <laughs> That was a weird time because I actually worked um, uh, separation assignments. It was kind of like an HR-ish type job in the military. The policy was don't ask, don't tell. But if you did tell, then you were discharged. And I had to write up those discharge papers. In your religion, were you guys open about sexual, like speaking about sex? No. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, I think the sex talk with my... From my mother, I think I was 15. And it was like, I'm paraphrasing. It was, do you know what a penis is? Don't touch it. 
<laughs> so and then, yeah, which is funny because now as a grown woman, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> like you told me, you told me. To. I'm just listening to you, mom. <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah, we were, um, it was very, like sex was shameful um, growing up. Like it was, you could not be sexual, don't have premarital sex. You um, will go to hell if you have sex before you're married. Um, I remember my mom, you know, telling us, you know, that she would never accept any, any one of us that would become gay. Um, uh, she never, I mean, how she never wanted to accept any of us if we would dated outside our race. So how does um, that shape your behavior with your kids, right? Because there's two ways to go with that. You just keep hazing people just like you get hazed or you go in a different direction. Well, that's exactly it. Like I, I'm probably, well, at least for, for me, I'm that my, my raising my kids is the first generation of breaking that, breaking that bias repetition. Cause that, that wasn't just like started with my mom and she was the first one. It was her parents and her grandparents and great grandparents. Like this, this has been hundreds of years passed down in our family of uh, discrimination and bias. It's, it's what we knew. And That's it's what cool. I, it's what I was raised with. Like when I was a young child, I was taught to say hateful things about people of color and people uh, who are not straight um, and didn't know any better. This is what I, this is what I knew. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, um, actually one of the saving graces was that my mom remarried when I was about seven or eight and my, my stepdad, who I, the, the dad I came out to, uh, he has a very different view. And he taught us a hell of a lot more about treating people equally and with respect. And so we learned a little bit more. And yeah, as when I became a parent, I had to, I had that choice of, do I perpetuate what was taught to me or do I teach a new thing? And I decided to teach a new thing. And, you know, it sounds easy. That sounds simple, but it's not like, think about, you know, for those, for people who are parents, think about you raised your kids based on what you were taught. Now, if you have no example, I had to learn everything on my own. I had to like trial and error stuff. Like I'm, thank God I haven't screwed my kids up as much as I thought I would. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. So this intersectionality kind of concept, right? Because we have this need to put everyone in a box. How does that play into sexuality? from your perspective that plays big time in my perspective it it has been a struggle for me because I don't feel that I fit I don't feel that I fit in a box sexual you know for sexuality and gender association wise and I don't think anybody really does it really is a spectrum like you think about you you have one end you know for gender identity you have one end where you are cisgendered meaning that you um, you identify with the physical gender that you were born with all the way to, you know, not, you know, I don't know if transgender would be the, the opposite, the opposite of the spectrum. I don't know. But, you know, some, a, a lot of times I sit somewhere in the middle um, and I don't talk about that a whole bunch. And it's not that I'm ashamed of it. It's that it's hard for people to get their head around. Like it's hard to get like physically, I was born female. I agree that I'm female from a, from a physical sex identity, I'm female. I'm, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a mom, I get it. Um, but my gender expression, how I behave, 
Um, and what we say as society, you know, gen- you know gender is a, a social construct created in the 50s to kind of say, as a society, this is how people will behave. I don't assign myself to the, the, the female behavior persona. Like I'm a little bit masculine, but I'm also a little bit feminine. I'm like somewhere in the middle. Like people would call that like gender queer, gender fluid, uh, gender non-conforming. Yeah, it's like somewhere there. And to me, that makes perfect sense. And I, I understand to many people, they go, but no, that, no, but what does that mean? Like, does that mean that you just dress like a girl or you just dress like a guy? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, um, have you heard of the, uh, the term super straight? Uh-uh. So super straight is, and this is kind of funny because I always, like, one of the things I tell people when we talk to them about um, any sort of like pronouns and stuff is that we have to give each other permission to be honest because things change so quickly right now. Pretty much terminology and how we describe ourselves is moving at the speed of technology, right? And so you have to give people the day to like sort of digest it if it's the first time they've heard something. So mm-hmm. super straight is a man who only has sexual interest in cisgender females. Oh, okay. Or a woman only has interest, sexual interest in cisgender males. Right. So they're not, in, that means that they wouldn't have interest in a transgender female, an intersex female, gender, you know, somewhere, somewhere, anywhere else in that spectrum. Yeah. They're only on their side of the spectrum. <laughs> 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 it's the term is super straight. <laughs> like what's super straight? You know, it's interesting. Um, but just keeping up with all this is hard, you know? And so I think, I mean, I'm hoping at some point we just stop trying to identify everybody. <laughs> you know? Right. Like I've always said, like I, I, I've, I've had a hard problem um, with gender reveal parties that people have been doing in the past several years. When you're having those parties, pink for a girl, blue for a boy, first of all, colors don't have genders. And then secondly, you're not revealing the gender, you're revealing the sexual organs of your child. And that's weird. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, if you think about it that way, like, yeah, you can celebrate we're, we're having a, you know, we're physically having a, a, a female, we're physically having a male. Um, there's nothing wrong with celebrating that, but you know, that you don't know that child's gender. They're not going to know their own gender identity until years later. Absolutely. Well, that's what I, you know, I've always said to like the whole idea, like I get that it's an EEO thing when we look at diversity uh, within the workplace and, and we start to measure gender diversity. Well, if we're measuring gender diversity and we're only measuring male to female, and I mean, you can cut this if this is too vulgar, but I've said before, I'm like, really that all that means is companies are measuring how many vaginas versus penises that they hired. And that's really weird. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm like that's all you that's all you've captured not who the people are yeah yeah and that's why we're always pushing diversity of thought you know because I think that's the key if you really want to get ROI on, on on that so if you're gonna track it do it that way well you know so one of the things I found interesting um when I was doing my research was so um I was looking at like historical events that have happened in the past several years that have changed like either my culture or your culture of origins uh, view on sex and sexuality. Um, and I started, you know, back in 1974 is when uh, the uh, American Psychological Psychology Association uh, put together a task force to really take a look at homosexuality and ultimately removed it 
as a mental illness from the DSM. Um, and that was a huge step forward of legitimizing the lives of uh, LGBTQ people as not a mental illness. Um, and then we had, you know, same-sex marriage was legalized in 2015. Um, I did a, uh, a paper um, and, and made a LinkedIn article a couple of weeks ago about the fact that, you know, after legalization of same-sex marriage, we saw youth suicide and LGBTQ drop by 7%. Um, so it's, it's huge. And then the passing of the Equality Act that's, that's going on right now. Like, it's, it's just amazing to me that, you know, we're, we still have a long way to go, but there's so many places to go. That's my U.S., you know, that's, that's the, you know, the country culture that I've grown up in. Mm -hmm. I don't know that much about other countries and other cultures. Um, knowing that I was talking to you and that you, you know, you were born in India and come from that conservative Indian family. I don't know if you knew about this, but there was a um, there was a law in India called Section uh, Section three seventy seven, which was an anti sodomy law, and it was in effect until September of twenty eighteen, um, and it basically you know said any any man who has sex with another man or sex with a transgender uh, person can be punishable by life imprisonment, um, and it was it was a huge reform um, in twenty eighteen when they finally struck that out and said one, they weren't really enforcing it for quite a long time. And it, it, for some reason only addressed when well, not for some reason, it's just, it is what it, the, you know, it only addressed male sexuality. It really had nothing to do with female sexuality. <laughs> I don't know. Did you like, did you hear anything about that? You know, what did yeah, you I mean, it's funny because we put these laws in because these religious people basically say that this is what needs to be. And, and then we pretend it doesn't happen, even though it's happening all around us. Right. So like I talked to my dad about like this whole sex before marriage in India, they, they say they don't do that. And so I was like, well, okay. So if they don't do that, then why do they have the fastest growing AIDS rate in the world? <laughs> Something's happening there. <laughs> so yeah, really with sodomy, like you saw all these kids and young adults who clearly are LGBT Q plus community in India. But then we have these laws that, that we put up that really just don't make any sense. And they're not with the times, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly like, I mean, up, up, you know, starting with, uh, you know, the Stonewall riots in the late sixties here in the U S it's, you know, people were thrown in jail just for going to uh, a, a bar or a nightclub that was, you know, that, that catered to same sex people. Are we sort of less focused on how it affects us and more being a community? Cause like even within groups, right. We still discriminate within that group, but my, my thing is most important. In fact, for Gay Pride Month, one of the things I'm thinking of doing a podcast on is Don't Forget the Beat, which is bisexual. Totally. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. So that's one of the, that's the interesting thing that I've always found is like where there is discrimination, there's also discrimination within own groups. So for years, um, not only were, uh, you know, LGBT people of color discriminated within the own LGBTQ community because the gay community was predominantly white uh, or the out gay community was predominantly white. Um, there was discrimination there. There's continues to be discrimination for transgender individuals um, because there are people within the gay community that don't feel that transgender are authentic, legitimate and, and should be part of the community. I don't even get that. For decades, there's been this um, not a huge support of the bisexual and, and, and actually bisexuality is a spectrum. 
um, there, there is a spectrum of bisexuality or asexuality. There's bisexual, there's pansexual, there's demisexual. There, there's a lot that goes into bisexual. It's not just, I'm, I like my same gender and then also, and also the opposite gender. Um, and I actually more identify in that category in that spectrum somewhere. Mm. Um, I don't like, again, you know me, I hate labels. <laughs> Because I don't I'm think more to personality than what their what their gender or skin type is. Yeah, I'm like the only the label I'm comfortable with is Wendy because that's my that's me that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, you know, I get to make up who I am, and um, you know, I I remember I think it was like 2018. I took a sexuality class, and we were talking about the different terminologies, and I heard this term pansexual, and I'd never heard it before. And, and when they were going through the the history the the definition, and it was, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically having an attraction to someone regardless of gender, and and also understanding that there are more than two genders, bisexual meaning only two genders, pansexual meaning multiple, and I was like, that's like light bulb, yeah, that's it, you know, if someone needs a a name for like, so what are you? I'm like, well. That, offended is what I am right now, because why would you ask me that question? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like there, I've only seen maybe in the last year, we're starting to see more legitimacy and support of the bisexual community uh, in the LGBTQ community. More celebrities are coming out to say that they're bisexual and getting support from that. Here in Minnesota, there is a bisexual organization project um, and they, they're focused on supporting and providing, you know, resources and networking and events for that, that whole spectrum of bisexuality, not just bisexuals, which I think is awesome. Um, and what does the plus stand for in your mind? Um, I know the plus, there's a lot of different letters that come into the plus. And so I know um, within that plus, there's I, which is intersex. Uh, And there are two A's, A for asexuality and A for ally. Um, And then there becomes more more letters. I think, I I mean, you know, nobody, I I, I always say this jokingly to my kids because they'll ask me something. They'll be like, why did the trash, why is the trash not running today? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't work for them. They did not, they didn't ask me. (laughs) So so with the LGBTQ plus, like I'm not in charge (laughs) of the community. They didn't ask my opinion. Um, that's my understanding is eventually there was like all these other letters that needed to be added on. And so, so someone, someone in the world said, well, we'll just throw a plus there and that's inclusive of everybody. And that's kind of stuck. Mm. Um, cause you know, before it was, you know, first it was just gay and lesbian community and then it was LGB community and then LGBT community and then the Q, Q queer and questioning. So there's been more and more letters like the, I think the TikTok trend right now is alphabet mafia. Um, which I like (laughs) because yeah, we've got all the letters of the alphabet. (laughs) So what advice would you give somebody who's listened to this and what they can do to sort of understand the different levels of sexuality and how, where do they go to sort of start understanding it? It's actually not that hard to find this information. The older generation, like you and myself will say, Google it. My kids say, search it up, but it's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, you know, doing, uh, doing a lot of Googling of um, sex and sexuality, sexual spectrum uh, is really, really beneficial. 
there is um, a really cool guide that and I'm trying to remember, I think it's called the Transgender um, Education Resource. Um, and they came up a couple of years ago with uh, an item called uh, the Gender Unicorn. And the Gender Unicorn, it's an illustration. Um, and it's also, uh, it basically shows the different variations of sex and sexuality. Um, we, we used it in school before. I think it's an absolute great, you can find it on transstudent.org slash gender. Um, but it talks about the spectrum. So there, you know, there are several spectrums. There's gender identity spectrum. Um, there's your gender expression. How do you present yourself? Your sex assigned at birth. Uh, who are you physically attracted to? And who are you emotionally attracted to? Because um, those aren't always necessarily the same thing. There, but also, you know, when it comes to being an ally, you know, you can look at, uh, like I said, the bisexual organization organizing project BOP. Uh, National Resource Center for LGBTQ aging individuals. If you're an older, later in life, or or friends of someone who's a later in life coming out, and you want to know how to support them, Glad P Flag. Um, and one I found really interesting was uh, it's called Collage. It's the Children of Lesbians and Gays, um, and it's C O L A G E dot org. They have some really great resources that. So like what what I needed, um, I'm coming out as a parent to older, to my teenage children, there was, there were great resources there to help kids understand what that means. Oh, that's awesome. Everything yeah. is very inclusive, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. And that, that's what I love about that. Like, that's what I love about some of the resources I found so far is it, you know, and I find new stuff every day, but it's like, everything is inclusive of a little bit of everybody, which is like, I think that's how we should look at all of it. We're all a little bit of everybody. Yeah. No, There's not just, you know, I mean, just like you said in the beginning, like, you, you know, the more and more you look at our difference, you, you, the more and more you see how we're differently alike. Absolutely. Put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I still want to do the get over yourself one though. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I actually used it at the Arlington I did a, a conference, a panel last week at the Arlington, Virginia Development Council. Mm -hmm. And they asked me my advice. And I said, look, honestly, what the best way to get over biases and stuff is like, we have this need to elevate ourselves over others, right? So at least I'm not black, or at least I'm not a, a girl, or at least I'm not a woman, or at least I'm not gay, right? And so that's our, our way of needing to say we're, we're at least something better than the other person, which is not true. Um, right. And the second thing that we always do is like, you're being gay doesn't affect me in any way. Right. And so we have to get over ourselves and realize that. Yeah. Does it, doesn't affect, doesn't hurt you. You know, that is a, that's an interesting story uh, or an interesting concept too. Cause I, so I had this situation come up recently where, so now that we're starting to, you know, the kids are going back to school, they've got their cohort of kids that they hang around. So clearly those are kids that they can, you know, start to socialize a little bit with. And my son, one of my sons is having a friend over this weekend and my thought was, you know, we did the whole, you know, they, we did the whole mom thing. Like, well, my, her mom wants to talk to my mom to make sure, you know, you want to make sure there's a parent in the house. They're not completely crazy. <laughs> Things are safe. Um, which is funny. Cause you know, my Gen Z kids all looked at me like, why would parents want to talk to each other on the phone? And I'm like, this is what we do. We make sure it's a safe place before we send our kids. And I had a thought in my head of like, should I have told her? Like, 
it, it was a, it was a moment of, you know, you just look at that, like our parents safe, our parents, nor our parents going to be, is it going to be a safe place for my kid? But then I had a thought later that night of what are her parents like personal and political views? I don't, I don't know that question. I don't know the answer to that. Like, will they be offended knowing that their child is in a liberal LGBTQ home? Yeah. Like, I don't know the answer to that, but I was just like, oh, like, again, here's this new thing I have to think about. I never thought about that. It's interesting. I literally have never thought about it until last night. I was like, wow, I didn't think about this till now. Like, is this going to be, is this going to be something that because we're so, while we're trying to bring ourselves together, we're so divided right now. Is that going to be, is that going to be a barrier to children making friends in the future of like, my parents have one very different view than your family. And so. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to because I think kids are basically pushing their parents to become more open-minded. <laughs> they are. I'm glad they are. I'm I'm so impressed by the younger generation. Like they are so awake and alert and and self-educated as to the differences of people and the spectrum of identity and like it's it's refreshing. Well, this is great. Yeah, thanks for chit-chatting with me. You can learn more about our amazing guest and get show notes at consciouslyunbiased.com slash listen. And we want to hear from you. Please subscribe and rate Breaking the Bias on iTunes and Spotify. And drop us a note to let us know if there's a topic that you'd really want to hear about or a guest that you'd love to see on the show. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias.